ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Do we need to explain what a fleshlight is? Uh, Google it. Yeah, you can. Not at work though. No. <laughs> no, don't do that. It's not a tan-coloured porch either. It's just not. Hang on. Hello, Zan. G'day, g'day. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I've got a little bit of a cold. You do. But I'm on the end of it. That's good. Um, I had four days where I didn't leave the house and I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's nice. That sounds <laughs> Just nice. Just snuggled with Norman. Oh. Caught up on a lot of watches. He would have loved that. It was good. his mum. Yeah, well, yeah, he's very pouchy, very smoochy. Yeah. He's the most beautiful boy in the world, as we know, um, apart from your boys and girls. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they're all great. Everyone's is great. Um, I've got a knee update for you. A what? A knee update. Meniscus? Not meniscus. What is it? ACL. Partial tear of an ACL. No. Apparently that's a football injury. You've got a footy injury. You've got a footy knee. I have a subcondral, subcondral? Condral fracture as well. So... I don't know. Did you get I this did... at the same time or was it something that led to the other? No, I don't know. All at the same time. Oh, God. All at the same time. So no wonder it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it's still hurting. So what happens now? Uh, well, you just got to rest it. Thankfully, I don't have to have surgery. So that's that's okay. a bonus. That's good. Yeah, but, you know, I'll be shuffling around for a little bit longer yet. Oh, mate. It's not much fun. How much longer do you reckon the recovery is going to be? I said six to eight weeks. Okay, jeez. So. Hopefully that's The fine. old six to eight weeks, it's a real round number, isn't it? Yeah. Six to eight it's weeks. A solid, <laughs> it's a solid two months. They're like, your life is going to be shit for two months. Oh. Yeah. There's been a lot of Bang Fam sending you love. Heaps of yeah. people have been emailing and saying that they hope you're okay. And, and many people actually who have seen you on stage at Rocky Horror and haven't seen any meniscus injury. Oh. ACL injury, I should say. Underneath it. Underneath? Um, I'm, every day I'm shuffling. Luckily, the spotlight <laughs> only goes on me waist up and you can't really see. Although maybe they think I'm some sort of trained theatre practitioner, like the Japanese no theatre artists who just glide across the stage. That's me shuffling. All right. Yeah. Do nah. that. It's nah. <laughs> not that. Well, I, you, this is going to take you through. You're going to your ACL is going to be inextricably linked to your final days in Rocky Horror, but you will continue. The show will go on. Show goes on. Show goes show on. went on when I did it. I didn't even know because <laughs> I'd never had a knee injury before. I probably should have taken the day off. We've all done that. <laughs> I've done some injuries to myself at Meredith where I've um, stood in a pothole and then realised oh. the next day, oh, I can't walk on that thing. Oh no! When you're caught up in the moment, you just keep going. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to. Oh bless. Yeah. Anyway, we're good. Good. We're good. Good. Yeah. Big week. Oh, yeah. Tell me about last week we left you before you were heading off to the Barbie press conference. Yeah. And thanks for being able to come in a little bit early so I could do that. No stress. <laughs> oh, you, you were doing Barbie for us all. So it, that was a brilliant idea. Tell me all about it. Oh what was God. it like? It was wild. I, I've been part of different film events before but never to that scale. And this mm. is a blockbuster, so it's opening in the American summer. It's opening on the same day as Oppenheimer, which many people would know because it's become a really big thing, particularly on TikTok. What, what? do you see first, Oppenheimer or, or Barbie? What is Oppenheimer? I'm sorry. It's about the, the atomic only bomb. The only Oppenheimer's, the Oppenheim group is on um, Selling Sunset. So <laughs> It's not that. It's not that, okay. It's another force of destruction. <laughs> well, it's funny when you think about it because Oppenheimer and Barbie are both um, inventions that change the world. How they change the world is, mm. you know, up to personal opinion. But um, Oppenheimer is about the invention of the atomic bomb. And I am going to go and see that, but 
Um, I got to see the first 20 minutes of Barbie as a result of this press conference. That's all we were allowed to see. Really? They're keeping it really close. There's a lot of mystery around the actual plot and there was a cry in the little theatrette where I watched it with a handful of other journalists where it stopped and everyone was like, no, come on! Not fair, more! <laughs> you just want to watch more. Yeah. Uh, Plastic Fantastic is the vibe. I think that'll change after certain moments in the film. But the press conference was, let's just say they spared no expense. They drained Bondi Iceberg's pool, the iconic ocean pool that sits there overlooking Bondi, mm. drained it of water, put a massive sign, like big canvas sign that covered the entire base of the pool and then refilled it so it just had Barbie July 20 on it for everyone to oh see. Oh, my God. They like, made the Barbie pool at Bondi Icebergs. Yes. That's ridiculous. You can't even drain that pool. How did they do that? The I water saw goes them in. drain it. The water goes in, though, all the time. Yeah, they've got pumps. So they broke <laughs> they broke nature, basically, in order to do this to the bottom of the Which Barbie Which is very pool. much about Barbie's vibe, isn't it? Breaking nature. There is no nature. <laughs> on trend. It's opposite, na- opposite to nature. Very on trend. And they kitted out the whole pool deck with... Barbie vibes like hot pink surfboards and fake palm trees and, you know, umbrellas and stuff. It was very kitsch. Um, but, of course, the the big thing for me was being able to meet some of the stars of it. Margot Robbie, mm. Greta Gerwig. Margot's the producer of the film as well as the star. Greta is the co-writer and director of the film. Issa Rae, who plays President Barbie. And America Ferreira, who plays a human in the film, Still unsure about what her role is because it's so secret. But four iconic women and they were all there and I got to host this press conference. And it was weird because, like, you would know this because you've been doing this sort of stuff for ages too. When you're in those kind of events, there's a lot of people around. Yeah. There's both a lot of faffing about and a lot of quiet whispering and everyone Mm. just keep cool. But every one of those stars arrived separately and they all had their own entourage, their own hair and makeup, their own people and so there's a lot of movement backstage. But I didn't realise how they were going to arrive. So I'm just there. We're just waiting, getting ready. I'm sort of doing some deep breathing because, you know, I still get nervous before these things. If you yeah. didn't, then you'd be dead. And I'm standing there just scrolling through my phone and behind me I hear this voice yell out, Twins! And I'm oh like, what? And I barely even, like, was like, what was that? It kind of was like a little buzz in the ear. And then I turned around and Issa Rae is behind me in a full pink suit as I am. No. And I'm like, she just yelled twins at me. (laughs) Issa, hello, my queen. Twinsies, yes, I am. And she was so nice. Post for a photo, of course. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, they're all glorious. They're all exactly as you would imagine them to be. Is Margot Robbie as... Look, I just imagine when you see people like Margot Robbie, who is so stunning, and it's not about that. I know that, but she's actually freaking stunning. Mm. Is she? Is she as like, you know, is she that movie star quality in life? Yes. Yeah. And I felt in that regard, she's obviously getting a lot of photos taken of her. She is the main star of the film, and she looks like Barbie. She looks like stereotypical Mm. Barbie, which is her character character in the film. But I actually, even though she's getting all these photos. I felt weird just looking at her because I'm like, I'm just, everyone's just looking, looking at, her, at her and it feels voyeuristic even though you get, she gets what it is. She's on red carpets all the time. That's the deal. But it felt weird because, um, yeah, there was something, I just had to turn away. I was like, I just feel like I should give you some privacy because you're <laughs> so like, you're so public property right now. Yeah. Um, but she also is like, I could totally see the producer in her. Like she was the one 
whipping everyone up. Everyone was kind of chatting to various people. Greta was like, I've spoken to her before and I love her so much, but you know how she's got that sort of um, dream equality about her. She was mm. like flitting about, hard to sort of focus. And Margot's like, right, everyone, let's do this. Come on, you do this. You go first, you go first, you go first. And she was just translating everything. And then when I was like, can I just get a quick selfie with you guys? Who's got the longest arm? She's like, right, give it to me. I'll do it. Let's go. Everyone. Oh my goodness. <laughs> She's, wow. She's the producer. She is. So I loved it. I love them all. It was a great treat, um, a lovely little surprise to be able to do that. And I loved wearing hot pink. And people definitely looked at me when I got on the plane at the end of the day. <laughs> I bet they did. But how wonderful. Like, let's, let's get all these bright colours out there. Let's do it. Well, yeah, we're going to talk a bit about colour later on in Bang On or lack of colour. Mm. Lots of stuff to talk about this week. Um, I want to kind of dip into a bit more Barbie, though, first. I know we've been talking about this a lot, but it has been very much in the cycle in the last few weeks as we gear up for this big kickoff. And you sent me a great long read from The New Yorker about how this is not going to be the first or last film that we see from Mattel. Oh, this was so good. And it, it really delved into not just what's going to change in terms of movie making with Barbie, but what will be changing in terms of toy making in the future and anything that's involved in that. Like no longer can you come up with a simple board game like Monopoly. There has to be oh, an entire franchise around it. Mm. Not only, uh, you know, things like Hot Wheels from Mattel because of Barbie will now have a movie franchise and a comic behind it. Like it's from from nothing comes everything from here on in because that seems to be the only way that anyone can make any kind of money. And And this story really delved into that and how Barbie has got around the idea of, of doing, I guess, it's essentially the, the movie is promo for Barbie, but also allowing the creative element to infiltrate into the idea so it's actually a credible movie at the same time and the difficult act and the balancing act of that between the major corporation, which is Mattel, mm. and the creativity, which is the filmmakers and the producers. And I just really loved reading all around it, all around the parts that kind of came came together and... and in a way, it's to me, it feels slightly sinister now that they're starting to mine every childhood thing. You know, like Barbie's a big one, but mm. now because of it, it's like bang, 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 we're going to do Hot Wheels, we're going to do um, what's Castle Grayskull, what's that one? He Man. He Man, we're going to do all of these. I and they do like, Shearer as well. Oh, Love yeah, Shearer. Exactly. She was great. She was great. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just, um, you know, there'll be pocket, Polly Pockets. Like, how are we going to make. <laughs> How are we doing a film about Polly Pocket? Oh, you know, know who will love that? Rosie Waterland is a mad Polly Pocket <laughs> collector. She is going to be frothing on this. I know. So it's, yeah, it's it's kind of the success of this will kick off so much more. And I, I don't know. I feel, I feel a little unsure about it because I'll enjoy it too much. But it's really playing into that sort of heartland for all of us, those childhood fantasies and dreams that we had around these toys and ideas and, and our little lives and how big the world seemed. They're now putting it into sort of a, a movie, which is wonderful, but does it take – I don't know. I haven't seen Barbie yet, so I'm not sure if it'll take away from that that feeling or if it's just playing into it and I'm just being fed what I want like a – uh, I don't know. That's your what you're describing is exactly what they are relying on to get people into theaters, mm. which is continually harder and harder. And that's why most of the films that you see and why you see Tom Cruise always talking about get out to the cinemas. There's these big action films that you want to see in mm. a cinema, but with in this regard, it's about pre awareness. Mm. So it's not just about 
the end point, which is selling more dolls. It's about mm. the fact that, exactly as you say, this is nostalgia. You grew up using and playing with these toys. Mm. You know exactly what their vibe is. You're curious about how they can tell a story. And remember that it's been done before mm. with Lego. Those films are really so. funny. You know, yeah. they were quite subversive. Transformers, big action films, not so much the kind of sharp critique or sharp um, comedy film as, as Lego was. But it's been done before and been done quite successfully. Mm. And that pre-awareness seems to be, for better or worse, what is needed to sell films. And we talk a lot about the death of cinema and, uh, you know, you and I love going to the movies a lot. I still love doing it, but mm. it's not a common thing for many people. I still am amazed that cinemas are opening. Like there's a new cinema opening in my house soon. I'm like, I'm so glad this is happening. But in your house? Yes. <laughs> what? Near my house. <laughs> I've come into money and I have a home cinema now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Coming over for the recliner chair. That's right. Um, but whenever a new cinema pops up, I'm like, this is great because it's a very, it's not a common tale. Mm. Like there's less people seeing films, you know, than ever before. But this this is why you see sequels and reboots mm. and toy, they call them toyetic films. Toyetic, yeah. It's a, it's I a love bizarre... a made-up word from a Hollywood studio, yeah. toyetic. Yeah, they, they're, they're making it a science, you know, or some sort of, yeah, like it's like the Pons Institute, it sounds like. <laughs> when you read about the, the Mattel factory in El Segundo in America where Barbie obviously originates from and so many of them, it sounds like Willy Wonka's land, you know, he, they have different areas that they've designed and I imagine they wear white lab coats yes. and, and have very serious discussions about the colour of Barbie's latest shoe range, you know, because it's big. I've got one of those tours. It's big, <laughs> oh, so would I, but it's big, big, big money. And their challenge is, and, and this is where the Barbie film will be really interesting, is if they can create an artwork, which is a film, mm. that actually has something to say because yeah. essentially Barbie comes with no, very little narrative. She has a couple of characters, but you essentially have to make up the story around her and that's the same with these future productions that they have in train, Hot Wheels. They don't have necessarily a story unlike Marvel which comes with backstories and prologues and prelogues and all that kind of stuff it's all set in stone whereas this is not Mm. so the challenge with this new type of movie making which requires this pre-knowledge for people to get in is what they're going to do with that power do they sell the product even more for the company or do they make stuff that's actually really interesting and says something so I think I'm really keen to find out what it is that they're going to say with the Barbie film if anything at all or if it's just about a good time and it's done cleverly I mean that's enough for me to go to the movies but it's an opportunity too I think to craft these stories and it was interesting at the end of this article the discussion about Uno such a huge childhood or or you know however you say it huge childhood favorite how do we make that into a movie like they're all sitting around having serious meetings about making a movie about Uno and what a job. I know. I want it. <laughs> I want it. But they've decided that it, because, you know, obviously Uno is a card game. Yeah. So there's there's a, there's a levels of skill and there's levels of um, interaction in there and and jeopardy. So they're turning it or they're, currently they're turning it into a heist movie yeah. set in Atlanta, which sounds amazing. <laughs> so, yes, I say yes to that. But it's also it's a really interesting moment in our culture where – this is a real opportunity to make something interesting out of this. We'll see how it goes. If it becomes like Marvel where it's just so many that you go, oh, God, I'm so bored of this, and they're not doing anything necessarily interesting with that core 
of the product. It's just churning. 45 films are in development as a part of the newly formed, relatively newly formed Mattel film department. J.J. Abrams is involved in the Hot Wheels film. <laughs> Vin Diesel. so funny. Now, I've never heard of this toy, but Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Never heard of it. Vin Diesel's involved in that. This is my favourite, though, Miff. I read this. I was just like, are you serious? Uh, Jimmy Warden, the screenwriter of Cocaine Bear, has devised a horror comedy about the magic eight ball. <laughs> oh, I'm going. I'm absolutely. Do you remember the magic eight ball? Yes. It was so good. Like, you know, we didn't have, it was almost like when, it was when we had flip phones and stuff and just numbers. Like there was no, you know, it was like playing tarot cards. It's better than your star sign. Yeah. It's better. You just. <laughs> but a horror comedy. Horror comedy. See, there, there's the, the possibilities are endless. What they do with it, I think, will be really interesting. And I think we need to keep watch on that to see whether or not this is actually going to bring up quality cultural products or just a whole lot more shit. So, so Now, Miff, last week at the start of last week, because we went a bit early, mm. it was an early bang, we talked mm. about people throwing stuff on stage um, at artists, namely mobile phones, but good Lord, did that escalate? Because I think the same day there was an article about Pink performing in the UK mm. at a big gig in an outdoor park, and not only did someone hand her a giant wheel of brie cheese... Great choice, though. <laughs> uh, if I was a performer and... I wanted to get a gauge on the type of audience that I have at my concert. If someone handed me a wheel of cheese, I'd be so happy. I'd you know like, me. You, you, you get me. I get it. Like, that's divine. Like, go for it. But don't throw it, obviously, because that's quite an object. To, Heavy. It's to a, it was a large wheel. It's a huge wheel. But also, it's, it's, you know, in terms of don't eat the listener cake, which is something we always say in radio, is if people send you food, don't eat it because it could be laced with anything. Yeah. With At least with a wheel of cheese, it's kind of got a hard case. So it should be fine unless someone's done something really clever with it. You can eat that cheese. So... <laughs> It makes sense. I'm I'm here for the wheel of brie. On that same pink. on that same concert though, someone else threw up a bag of ashes. Her mother's ashes. The audience member's mother's ashes was thrown onto the stage. Like, I mean, I know your mum loved pink and she she went through probably quite a few it's bottles cooked. of white wine listening to <laughs> Pink's greatest hits, but that is so uncalled for, isn't it? Pink didn't know what to do with it either. It no. was kind of, I really felt for her because it's that thing of like, you're there, you're, you've, she's obviously got a very good relationship with all of her fans. She wants to serve them and, and make sure that they have the best time ever. But And also that's a very personal thing to throw up. So she's probably trying to like in that split second compute all of these things. How do oh. I react? I don't want to offend this person. But good Lord, they've just thrown someone's ashes at me. And she literally was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. And it, what is going on, though? We talked about it when this came up last week. Yeah. What's going on with people? Why do they think that they can do whatever they want with these people? Is it because we have such parasocial relationships with celebrities and, and pop stars these days in that we know they're in a inner workings because of social media to so much more of an extent than ever? Has that parasocial relationship where obviously that superstar has no idea of you. Has it gone to the point though where the audience or the fan wants to flip it so they want to be known by that celebrity Meme culture is definitely a big part of it. TikTok and meme culture would be a huge part of it. Mm. Joel Golby just wrote a really good 
editorial in The Guardian yesterday. This just popped up, and I think that he kind of nails it in a couple of points. Um, His title of his article is, Choosing to throw a full wheel of brie at pink is not a normal decision, but these are not normal times. Um, (laughs) No, I still still think it is a very normal thing to want to do. Next bang online, bring your wheel of brie. Um, And the opening paragraph of this piece alone is worth the price of admission, which is free. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, But he's got a couple of theories and sort of talks about that elastic back and forth of fan and artist closeness that boomed during the peak of social media. Mm. And that obviously led to stan culture, which we talk about a lot in Bang On. But that's kind of started to gain its controlled distance again. So all of those artists who are very much speaking to their fans in building their profiles, in building those connections, they're kind of taking a step back. There's someone from their team doing their posts and their tweets again and the audience are yearning for that what they feel is a much more personal connection. Mm. And he also reckons that this is kind of a natural end point. We're at the end of times for this ravenous fan culture because so much of being a super fan, screaming yourself hoarse in a stadium is feeling like you uniquely understand the artist and you uniquely know everything about them and their fame. And there is, uh, so a lot of that is to do with knowing that law, having that connection. You're the person, you're the biggest fan in the world. So being the person who handed Pink the bag of ashes, no one will ever hand her ashes like you did. That's your moment. So it is that kind of capturing a moment in the culture, making it a meme, being part of that, and you're at the centre of that. The main you become ca- the story. The main character energy, right? Yeah. You and her are also, as a, but as a fan culture thing, Even you and Pink are bonded by this forever. You were there at that moment and you were the person who handed her the ashes. Even though she's absolutely not happy about the fact she got handed someone's mum's ashes like that they don't care that's the thing they don't there's no care factor as to whether or not that's offensive or that's not deemed appropriate so there's a real lack of sense of what's appropriate behavior which has fallen away I really like that Adele's just gotten out ahead of it before anyone throws anything at her. She's currently doing her huge Vegas residency and she had this to say on stage on the weekend. Have you noticed how people are like forgetting fucking show etiquette at the moment people are throwing shit on stage? Have you seen that? I fucking dare you. Dare you to something in the fucking thing. I fucking dare you. I fucking dare you. Like I said last week, these people are fuckwits. It, it stops here. It absolutely stops here. This is end of days. It's time I'm to close kind of, it. I'm kind of pleased for end of days, to be honest, <laughs> if this is it, because I I just find it all a bit exhausting now, now that we've been doing social media for so many years. Twitter's about to fall off the perch. Oh, God, if you yes. go there, it's like a hellhole. <laughs> no one good's on there anymore. And, I, you know, you try and find fun stuff to tweet and retweet. There's nothing. There is no fun there whatsoever. And it's just, I think it's, I think we're all a bit exhausted by it. It's an extra job on, on top of our already existing jobs. If it dribbles away at some point pretty soon, I'll be quite happy, to be honest. These are not normal times, Miff. No, they're not. The fleshlight on stage for little Nas X. (laughs) And what did he say? Who threw their pussy up here? (laughs) Do we need to explain what a fleshlight is? Uh, Google it. Yeah, you can. Not at work, though. No. (laughs) No, don't do that. It's not a tan-coloured porch either. It's just not. Wimbledon's on, just kicked off. Have you been staying up late to watch it? No. No. <laughs> Have no, you ever been? To Wimbledon? Yeah. No. Oh. No, no I don't okay. think so. Yeah. I think I'd remember that. No, never been to Lords. Okay. Never been to Wimbledon. Watch, I used to watch a lot of tennis. I don't watch much anymore at all. Yeah. 
Well, it's a fun day out. Mm. The rules are quite strict. It is very English. And for many years, they have always been renowned to uphold the tradition of all whites. They say that it's got to be a level playing field. If all the players are wearing white, then the only thing that's on show is their skill. There's no distractions. It's about their skill rising to the top. I have a theory about how we came to having all whites. White party? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it could be. 1900s P. Diddy. white party. P. Diddy. 1900s P. Diddy organising that party. No, this theory, this theory is this, like many of our um, structures, institutions, whatnot, designed and thought up by men. Men at that point, whenever this idea came into play that cricket should be wearing, cricket players should be playing all white, mm. people in the Navy should wear all white, uh, tennis players should wear all white. That would have been at a time when women weren't in any kind of decision-making positions. They actually had to do all the washing and the ironing and the cleaning of these all-whites. So guess who sat there and decided, let's wear all-whites, not thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, the minute I get a bit of spaghetti, it's over. Sad I can't wonder, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, it, a bunch of blokes decided. Oh, my God, so true. 200, 300 years ago that that's how it is. And it's like... Do you have any idea? Have you ever washed anything in your life? You've got to separate them. No. (laughs) No. They stain easily. So it's a ridiculous idea. Absolutely ridiculous. And back in a time when no blokes were doing any cleaning of said whites, so they didn't have to deal with it. And I just think it's time for it to go in the bin. Absolutely in the bin. All of these uh, fields that you're talking about, the Navy, uh, cricket, tennis at Wimbledon, and when this all kicked off, no women were involved in these Adventures either, these sports, these jobs, it was all very much a male field. And this is where the kicker of Wimbledon comes in because for quite a few years now, players have been um, voicing their opinion louder and louder, female players saying basically, we don't get really anxious about wearing whites because if I'm on my period when I'm playing Wimbledon, I'm running around the court and no matter what I have to try and protect you know, myself and to soak up mm. the fact that I'm bleeding every month, this, there might be a leak and all of a sudden that is shown to millions of people around the world. Absolutely. Which is fair cop. I didn't realise this, but last year Wimbledon announced that they no longer have to wear white. Women can now have the option of wearing dark coloured undershorts provided they are no longer than their shorts or skirts. So basically they're little bloomers. They can wear as uh, not white. They can be dark coloured. Thanks. Thanks, Wimbledon. <laughs> think like you know when you it just took me back when I was reading this article I fully regressed to when I was a teenager again and thinking oh god when you have to tie your jumper around around the waist just in case had a leak and what do you do you're mortified and it's like multiply that by being on a national stage like Wimbledon how did it take them this long? It's so good that they have, but Jesus Christ. Oh, took absolutely. a lot of convincing, didn't it? Now to get rid of the whites and also the skirts. <laughs> that would be nice as well. And while you're there, let's get rid of Ms, Mrs and Miss. Because it's all bullshit. Fucking it. There's a lot of, like, gavel coming down today on Bang On. I'm into it. I know, it. I know. Well, not quite white, but very close. Beige has been very much part of the culture for quite a few years now. We talk a lot about beige, stealth wealth, Gwyneth Mm. Paltrow in court. Beige and tan are very much dominant colours. You sent me one of the best reads I've experienced in quite a while about 
beige fluences. Yeah, beige fluences. <laughs> I loved this piece. Oh my goodness. Beware the beige fluences is the title. Cheerleaders for a life of no surprises. Light a candle, wear matching pyjamas, go to bed early. Why has tedium become an aspiration for so many young people? That kind of nails the tone of the article that mm. is by Sarah Manavis. And it talks about the rise, particularly uh, amongst under 30s, of um, romanticising your life by, I guess, expressing the everyday daily rituals that you might have, the really boring, mundane daily rituals while wearing beige in uh, in, an, in a, an environment that is all coloured beige. Everything looks really nice and serene and calm and there's nothing nothing jarring about all of this. And surprisingly, it's it's going off on social media. And I think... There's a real question about why, and this article goes through the various ideas as to why it might have happened, and that is because obviously some some young people um, desire to watch these unremarkable routines because, you know, we live in a time of chaos. Yeah, no control. No control, and it's a lot of chaos financially, emotionally. Uh, so many factors coming into play to make people feel like they're a little bit wobbly. So watching these very everyday things like somebody, you know, daily saging their their Italian apartment, their beige Italian apartment. You're in fucking Italy, mate. Get outside. <laughs> Fuck. It just does my nut in. You're in Italy. Eat. <laughs> it feel, yeah, it feels... Don't make a shake. Don't make a hell shake. Go out and eat some pasta. I just feel like this. You're just like you got one life to live, and you're just trying to curtail it with all of these. It's a lot about routine mm. and structure, isn't it? It's mm. about um, the aspiration is to have a, a you know work a good day, go to the gym, have your low calorie meal, meditate, go to sleep, and have eight hours. And it's like that's fine, that's all healthy, but it's really boring if you do that every day. You've got to. You know, you've got one chance, mm. one opportunity yeah. to, to to live your life to the full. And it doesn't have to be just like beige every day. And you don't have to party either. Sprinkle. It's, it's not about partying. It's actually about embracing and looking around you. Like get out of the apartment. Get out and enjoy a, a beautiful meal prepared by somebody else. And walk around, look at buildings, look up. It, I, it's I know, the unknown, isn't it? The yeah. mystery of the unknown. And yeah. that's kind of scary, isn't it, in this world? Like it's all about controlling your environment and the space that you're in and ha- and that leads to happiness. But yeah. the alternative is the unknown, which can open up your world in a much huger way. Yeah. But the unknown equals control, uh, lack of control equals chaos and that's yeah. kind of what you said there's a reaction against. Um, this article also suggests there is a, and these are the words, quiet conservatism in the valorisation of the routines and a sanctimonious tone adopted by those who followed them um, and a narrative emerging about um, uh, new generations that despite their reputation, says Gen Z here, but I don't want to target, I don't like pointing it at particular generations because I think that's unhealthy and unuse- Everyone loves beige. unuseful. We all like calm. We all like to delve in and, and pretend that our worlds could be like that. Um, but it goes on to say, despite their reputation for social liberalism, many young folk champion a more puritanical approach to things such as sex, dating and drinking. I think that's really interesting because they are a product of their parents and their parents who probably lived a very full life doing mm. all sorts of things have brought up these children in quite conservative ways because they know exactly what goes on when you do all those other things. So these kids are adopting values that, that aren't perhaps even necessarily true to them. It's more an idea of what their parents want from them.
But then they're sprouting it on social media and it's this sort of undercurrent of it being morally superior as well, Mm. that living this kind of pious life is morally superior. Have you seen that whole trend too? And this one really makes me... It really irks me. It makes me so uncomfortable. It's the whole the girlfriend who doesn't have a job. She lives for her 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 partner. Like there's they're very successful on TikTok, where they essentially show their day, which is about waking up, um, making their boyfriend all the drinks that he needs for his day, like coffees, making sure he's got his coffees and how she cleans the cleans the house. And and this has been idealised. There is a term for it and I can't even think of what it is. Been idealised on, on social media as if it's a way to enjoy your life without any of the stress of, you know, to me this is a 1950s That's housewife, back time, house, yeah. housewife torture situation. Yeah. However, it's now being idealised as, as some sort of, attainable or, or possibly achievable goal but what you have to do is basically be a servant for your baby boyfriend who can't make himself his own coffee in the morning and his food and you, you can see it it's everywhere and it's really starting to permeate and it's it's quite frightening yeah that's so weird that that's bouncing back to yeah. that I don't understand where that's coming from if female creators are, are choosing to, sh- to share this life and find I don't know, a, a place and a home in that life. There's, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of this, of this beige yeah. influencer life. It's so strange. It is really strange. I, I, I was sort of thinking about it on the car on the way here. Because we don't have television shows and movies that everybody is seeing, um, perhaps Barbie is an exception and a couple of others, but, you know, even the Marvel franchise is just so disparate now. People are watching television at their own pace. They're not watching things at the same time. That was the monoculture previously. We all listened to the same music because that's all there was. We all watched the same television shows because everybody was watching those television shows. So that was the way that we became a part of culture. So you were suggesting that this monoculture this is something is that we're hooking mono- on to because we, we need that. Because we don't have a broader monoculture anymore Mm. we don't have those touchstones to grasp onto that you can have a conversation with somebody else you know but you can have you can be at home and have an interior that looks like millions of other people's on social media and feel part of something Mm. whereas these days it's more difficult because it's so much more fragmented and information is coming at you from all different angles so beige is control and connection yes how fucking sad (laughs) i know I know. <laughs> Get out there, Bang Fam. Live a colourful life. Yes. Hot pink, turquoise, teal. Whatever you want. Yellow, poo brown. Oh, go for it. <laughs> go for it. I loved it. I loved this piece. I thought it was so spot on, maybe even bang on. So thank you mm. for sharing it. What are you banging on about this I like week? what you did there. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, what are you vibing on this Oh, week? look, just two great heartwarming little TV series that I, I thought I'd do two this week just because I watched one and then watched the other on uh, ABC iView. And uh, the first one was, of course, my darling friend Joel Creasy's new doco, A New Leash on Life, which has got dogs in it. It's got Joel in it, two of my favourite things. And um, they are teaming up people who have a need um, and, you know, maybe need some help to move on in their lives mm. 
teaming up with dogs that have been left in pounds that also need that same connection. And it's going to be a tearjerker. I've only seen the first episode and I think they've gone they've gone probably a little soft on the tear-jerking side of it, but I feel like there's more to come. They're going to shivers, so I can tell. Absolutely. Very wholesome television, though. I um, watched it too. I loved it. And my dog loved it too. She was <laughs> obsessed. I, couldn't, I took a video of her last night. I was wondering because there's so much barking. And I was thinking, are dogs around the country as they're watching this losing their shit with all the sounds? They love it. They can't – I don't think they can see what's on television, but they can hear somebody talking in a really nice voice to the dog. Come here. You know, come on. Come on. Here you go. Good girl. Good boy. They can hear all the words that they hear when they're having a great time and they can see – and, and hear the scratching and the snuffling and, and Viv is obsessed. Anything with a dog on it, the dog house, that one, that, that's in her top ten already. So <laughs> so her and I will be watching. And the other one is Gold Diggers, which is a new comedy oh God, on I ABC TV. And it's just a hoot. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's um, Danielle Walker and Claire Lovering uh, as Gert and Marigold, two women who end up in the gold rush in Australia, uh, it's it's so it's set back in the eighteen hundreds, and it's got contemporary language of today and dialogue of today, and it is they are really really wonderful to watch. Um, entranced by them both, and I think they're they're magnificent, and it's going to be heaps of fun. And the first episode was was just gorgeous. So um, yeah, get on board. I was watching that last night and I was thinking to myself, did they film this at Sovereign Hill, one of my favourite places? Yeah. But they didn't. They had, It looks like they've built the whole set. They filmed it in Malden. Oh. Because they wouldn't have been able to shut down Sovereign Hill because it's obviously so popular. Well, that's right. Sovereign <laughs> Hill is very popular. But there's also... But it's Goldfields era. So I was like, is that Sovereign Hill? No, they've built a whole there's set in Malden. There's also one in um, Swan Hill too. Coal Creek Historical Park? No, no, not that one. Um, <laughs> Everyone who's Coal outside Creek. of Victoria is like, what are you talking about? Need to throw in an old Sydney town. What's in Brisbane? Pioneer Settlement. <laughs> Pioneer Settlement. And I know that outs. <laughs> so fun. I love those places. Yeah, they're I keep great. on trying to convince Jeffy to go to Sovereign Hill. <laughs> I've been doing it for years. He's not keen. But that's fun. Oh, we'd love to pan for gold. That'd be great. They have their own like vivid live thing going on with like <laughs> lights in winter. I think it's on now. Do they? Love it. Anyway. Do a few projections on like <laughs> shop models in costumes. With, you know, they do the projections on the face to make it look like they're talking and they're real. <laughs> animatronics. Yeah, animatronics. That's it. That's it. I love all that shit stuff. So do I. So, so good. Bring it on. Uh, they're two great bangs. I will put both of them in the show notes because you can watch them on iView. I, yeah, watch them too. I've been watching a lot of telly while I've been feeling a little yeah. bit under the weather, but they were, they both lifted me. They were great. So what are you banging on about this week? I'm banging on about a podcast that just dropped oh. on. <laughs> love that for you. She's back. <laughs> Thank you. On Audible, but the good news is that often you need a membership with Audible. This is totally free. You can access it without a membership. And it's a new podcast from Nakia Louie, who's done um, that great debutante's yes. uh, podcast with Audible before. Now she's back with a podcast called First Eat. And basically the idea of this, and it's such a great concept, is what would a plate of food look like if First Nations people owned the land that we lived on? That's the pitch. Wow. So Nakia recently became a mother um, and she started thinking after she had her child Lux about, you know, how to nourish and sustain her daughter um, to enable her to grow up and be strong and be able to do anything that she wants because food is obviously what keeps us going. Mm. But also what we eat changes how we feel, who we are. It's a huge thing. Food security is a huge thing. Um, And, of course, the food that we have eaten changes the way that our body reacts. And if you're thinking about that in an Indigenous context, 
Indigenous Australians were eating a certain way for tens of thousands of years and then kind of overnight that changed and that has had huge health ramifications. But also the sorts of ways that Australia was used and farmed before white settlement or invasion, whatever you care to consider it, uh, was hugely different. You know, Indigenous Australians did farm the land. They uh, ate different things to what white Australia or non-Indigenous Australia eats. And all of this ties into this fantastic podcast, which is not just about, um, I guess, our relationship to food, but also in terms of what we eat and how it makes us feel, but also a cultural connection to food um, and and a cultural nourishment from food. And it's just from the first episode, I was just straight in. Mm. I just loved it. It's such a great idea. She goes across the world to different um, indigenous restaurants and talks to chefs about how they connect with food and the kind of food that they create and the stories that that tells. And that's another part of it, obviously. Like when we talk about cultural connection, it's about telling stories um, that for us in Australia, we're lucky to have the, you know, oldest stories in the world. Absolutely. And so um, I just loved it. It just grabbed me straight away and uh, it just popped up this week. It's called First Eat and I have love food, as I think we've talked about before. Everyone loves food, I think. Um, but I really find it fascinating in terms of, yeah, the stories that food tells about us Mm. um, as people, as a nation, um, as a culture, and this podcast does all of that. So highly recommend First Eat. That's unreal. Yeah, I reckon you'd really like it. it. I've already been texting all my chef mates and people who love food. It's like, you've got to listen to this. It's really good. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that's it. Wow. We're done. Gosh. All right. Well, I'm going to go and get my flashlight and go and throw it at someone that I love. <laughs> oh, my God. What, I mean, what I'll be... see you at Rocky Horror yeah. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't throw anything at me. Please. I've already got an injury. I'll see you next week. Bye, babes. <laughs> On. There were He-Man cartoons, I remember. Oh, yeah, that's true. He-Man. So I guess Master of the had, Universe. Master of the Universe. Castle Grayskull. I am He-Man by the power of Grayskull. That's right. It's all in there, isn't it? <laughs> She-Ra. She-Ra, Josie and the Pussycats, yep. which has already been made into a film. Yeah. Didn't think it did very well. No. Nah. What else was there? The oh, Je- Gemma and the Jets. Gemma. The gem, gem, the <laughs> this is not obviously not going on the podcast. <laughs> the sounds of me mining my Gemma, very holy memory. Gemma and the Jets. Gemma! <laughs> Gemma and the Jets. Gemma and the Jets.